Hello, podcast listener. The App Guy podcast. Every Sunday and Thursdays. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul the App Guy. Yes, welcome for an, another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I am your host, I'm Paul Kemp. And on this show, we have many inspiring guests that we can enjoy and we can hear their story on, on the things that they're doing in life. Some of those guests are app developers, some of those guests are authors. And in this particular episode, we've got a, a fantastic guest. Uh, his name is Matt Frazier, and he is the author of No Meat Athlete. He currently runs a blog, No Meat Athlete, and Matt has a huge following. I mean, I just checked out his Facebook page, and it's got over 50,000 people following him. So I'm thrilled that you know such a star can come and join us this afternoon on the App Guy podcast. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is wonderful. And I just thought it'd be good to start off by hearing a little bit about your story, how you got into a, a No Meat Athlete, you know, what you were doing just before that, and just a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. So I was uh, in grad school st- studying applied math and got my master's degree and I was working on the PhD but had kind of <clears throat> stalled a little bit and kind of lost a little bit of interest in it. And I was also a runner at the time and I had gotten this actually an ethical urge to become vegetarian and you know I had kind of put it off for a while and thought no it's not going to work with running. And I finally became convinced that you know it might even just be a benefit to my health and I said you know if if the running doesn't work if it you know then then fine I'll just I'm just going to do this and I'm willing to give up on the running if it ton- if it turns out not to work. But to my amazement, after I went vegetarian, um, I, I immediately got faster. Six months after that, I took 10 minutes off my previous best marathon and qualified for the Boston Marathon, which is a pretty tough marathon to get into for like, you know, just an amateur, um, non-elite athlete. And uh, at the same time, started my blog and, and just wanted to like document the experiment of, of starting a vegetarian diet with also being an endurance athlete because I thought that was an interesting mix, something that didn't obviously go together. And, um, you know, I, I had some hopes that it would become a business. I mean, I, I started small like anyone else. I just started publishing on WordPress and actually like the free WordPress.com where it takes five minutes to set up. And uh, I just started doing that. But I was always entrepreneurially minded. And I even with the math studying that I was doing, I, I never planned to become a teacher or a college professor. I just wanted to find some way to use that for a business and I really didn't know that this blog would would eventually become what it has but uh you know I just figured if you have an interesting um passion or topic I just figured start writing about it and build an audience and that can never hurt and then and then see what comes of it this is a wonderful story Matt and you know like I was entrepreneurial back at uh, school and uh, during university but I took a different direction in life went off to do a career and then realized I made a mistake when I had my midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. So I'm really jealous that you managed to find your passion so early on in life. What were you doing at uh, school? What were you doing as a graduate? I was studying applied math, and I was I was interested in the financial and economic side of math. So I, I had actually done a year or two of work at a financial investments company and then realized how much I loved the math that kind of underlied everything. 
So I, I was we were modeling options markets and looking at call and put options and trying to simulate them by defining trader behavior rules and all sorts of complicated fun stuff that has nothing at all to do with what I'm doing now. How does that make you feel uh, doing this now, making the transition into running your own business? Tell us, how, give us an insight into how it feels for uh, you. I mean, it's it's incredibly fulfilling to me that because it's what I always wanted to do. I mean, that was, I, in many ways, my staying in grad school, um, I, I now realize was kind of a form of procrastination. And it was it was a decision that I made out of fear. It was like, you know, it was easy to say, I'm going to do another year or three years or five years of school um, because that was easier than applying for the job that I wanted, but but knowing that I would probably not get it and would, would likely be rejected for being, you know, not, not being good enough. So, so the answer was stay in school, get a, get a more and more advanced degree, and eventually, you know, no one will ever be, be able to say no to you. And I don't think that was true at all, but it just, you know, to actually just jump right into it and skip all that and just start doing something that, that was business for myself. Um, it's, it's incredibly fulfilling. It's exactly what I've always wanted to do. And it's amazing to me. And I'm incredibly grateful as well that you can do something like that, like make such a dramatic shift, just start putting out good content, adding value to people. And so quickly nowadays with so, you know, nothing, no, nothing to invest in it other than your time, um, that you can make it into, into a living. And, And I mean, for me, it was, it took two years, really, from the day that I started the blog. From when I first hit publish on a blog, having no idea what I was doing, it was two years after that that I decided uh, to give up school for good and just do the blog full time. So, in that short time in this horrible economy, it's incredible to me that that uh, you know someone like me, without any huge amount of knowledge in in the topic or anything, you know, can, can do that. It's it's incredible. Well, you see, we're living in a world now where a lot of the people listening are uh, app developers, maybe uh, looking to get into startups. And so it's nice to hear your story that you've managed to find a passion and you're following that passion and it's really working out for you. But it's good that I love the fact that you said it took two years, you know, for you to actually take that plunge. Tell us how your family reacted, the people around you. Right. um, So I was I was married when I started all this and I still am. Same person. Um. And and she was, I mean, she was supportive. I think no one really ever shared my vision for it, my wife or anyone else. And I, and I don't blame them for that. I mean, I had this little blog, and I and I had you know maybe five hundred people reading it after after a few months. And to me, I could see down the path to where this would provide my family's income. And I didn't know exactly how it would. I just had this sense that I could make that work. And I didn't really expect anyone else to believe that. So. You know, I was okay with with other people not not really believing me and kind of thinking that I was full of it when I when I said that I thought this would one day become a blog or become a business and a, and a full time one at that. So, you know, when I actually did make the decision to to stop grad school, there was a decent amount of income coming in from the blog, like more than I was making with my graduate school stipend. So it wasn't like we took some big financial hit to to make this happen, uh, and and I'm thankful for that because that would be a really tough thing to do to give up. Um, you know, in, in U.S. terms, like a $70,000 per year job to start your own thing where, where you may only have five or 10000 in income at first. Um, I didn't have to, to do that. I didn't have to give up a huge financial, um, you know, like a paycheck or anything. It, it was easier than that. But what I did have to give up was the secure or perceived to be secure future that a graduate PhD, a PhD in mathematics 
would give me versus you know saying I'm I'm starting a blog and I'm going to try to make money off of this. <laughs> you know, it's just great to go back there. It's a little bit like I took the different path. I ended up um, going into um, a six-figure salary, and it, that was so hard to give up. You know, and uh, you know my wife was supportive, and my, my family and friends were a little bit kind of confused why I would do that. Um, but you know, I just I, that's why I'm trying to understand from you uh, to, to help the listeners, you know, who are perhaps going through a similar thing, what it feels like to make such a dramatic decision. Uh, and you're right; it's easier to do it from the outset than uh, get down the wrong path and then later have to give up a, a seventy, a hundred thousand dollar a year um, pay right. packet to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, why do you think it was so popular? Well, I mean, there's. With any niche that's also a cause, uh, you have kind of a built-in audience. So that's a really nice thing about writing something that people are already passionate about. Like I can, I could write almost anything about this, any, anything that was that was kind of helping people become vegetarian or vegan, um, or you know, defending the diet and saying like, yes, this is possible. Like here's why I think this works really well for athletes, and people are going to share that no matter if it's good or not because people want. You know, there there's a core group of people who want to spread that message. So that really helped. But I think the reason that it actually has taken off and, and did is because my I was really new to that whole lifestyle and I was never into the uh, the preaching and the you know telling people what they should do and that like you know you have to stop eating meat because it's wrong to be eating meat and like I'm telling you what's best for you. I was never into that and that always really turned me off. In fact, that's what kept me from becoming vegetarian for a long time. I just didn't want to become one of those people, I thought. So my approach has been the exact opposite of that. I've, I've tried to be just as low pressure as possible. And like, you know, I don't even want to tell people that that I think this diet is the best one for long-term health or for athletic performance. I just say, like, look, I'm making this work. You know, I, I can go do a 100-mile race and and I'm doing it on a vegan diet. So like, if that inspire someone that's awesome i, I want to be that example but i don't ever want to say um you know you should do this too or you have to be doing this too or you're wrong for not doing this and i think that really welcoming low pressure approach has been what has allowed it to uh, to gain a following perhaps larger than than just the the passionate vegetarians and vegans but also be interesting to people who who are just kind of like a little bit curious but don't want to be preached to and don't want to feel wrong for for not doing it yet and i think i think that letting that more mainstream audience in has really been a big part of it. I do think that there's um, a really big audience out there. Uh, let me give you an example. I was uh, on an episode 32 with Paul Jarrett of Bulu Box, and people listening can go and check out that one as well. And he uh, mentioned we both were talking about this Kickstarter project uh, for Soylent. I don't know if you've come across that. Yep. But that was uh, that was huge. I mean, they've raised over two million. Uh, dollars and I think they set themselves a very low target. I just wondered if um, I mean, what your view is on uh, that whole Kickstarter campaign, Soylent, and uh, you know what the guys are doing there. You know, I I think uh, it seems like they've done a great job of marketing it. I have no doubt about that. I think I first came across it when it was on Tim Ferriss's blog, and uh, you know that alone is going to give you a huge head, uh, you know, a huge leg up basically in in the startup world and marketing and just getting your product out there. I don't really think it's a, a good a good product. I mean, my my philosophy of health is that our bodies are are designed to eat whole foods, and that when we try to um, overthink it and and make 
you know, think we're just going to get all our vitamins out of a pill, that we we are messing with something that's so much more complicated than we can possibly understand. And I don't mean religious or anything like that. I just mean the way the body has evolved um, to to eat whole foods. And I just think when we start to to make up our own food out of things like you know all the supposed health food in in the in the stores where you go and get the vitamins and the supplements, I think most of that is is ultimately bad for our bodies. So you know I, I just don't think that anything that's not real food can ever be super healthy. Now if it's if it's something that that helps people who are extremely obese to actually lose weight so that they can get to a point where they can start exercising and then maybe transition to a more whole foods based diet. I think it could be good for that purpose. And I think, you know, medical food, liquid food kind of already exists that uh, isn't so different from Soylent. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a product I would ever use or recommend to anybody, but, but I think as far as the you know it, it's it's brilliant the way they've they've appealed to a massive audience and and raised money for it i think that's that's really cool uh, you know why it appeals to app developers and coders is because when they talk about the fact that you don't have to prepare sure. food you know you, you can almost get a, give away your kitchen you turn it into a, a games room and just literally have these uh, drinks that sustain your life and and they said that you know the the time that that frees up from from shopping from all those things that we do in our day to day life surrounding food. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the big appeal to the app my, developer. My answer market. to that would be that as I've gotten more and more into what I believe is healthy eating, my diet has gone the exact same direction. And what I eat most of the time now is raw fruits and vegetables and raw nuts and trail and none of this stuff takes any preparation either. But it's actual real food. So and I I went on a I can talk about this later when we talk about the smartphone because this is why. I, got a smartphone was I did a cross country book tour and I drove my car 11,000 miles around the US and uh, as a vegan being in in the Midwest of the US where there was sometimes no options at all I had to get really good at uh, at eating on the road and in this form that was really you know very convenient required no cooking no preparation anything and uh, I, I that that's really when I started eating in this very very simple way let's talk about that then so uh, you went on a 11,000 mile uh, book tour. Yep, uh, in my car it was a it was like a self, you know, DIY basically thing. I mean the the publisher most publishers these days aren't going to pay for a first time author to go on a book tour, so I don't blame mine for not wanting to do that. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing and just another great example of what what the technology allows us to do now that I I just basically asked my blog audience, I set up a little form and said if you would like me to come to your city, if you know of a great place, like fill out this little form. Uh, if you own a venue, let me know and and just kind of fill out some details. And then I booked of the 40 or I think I did about 40 events. Uh, of the 40 events I did, I booked about 30 of them that way. People just volunteered their place. I checked out the city, looked at Google Analytics and like, was I getting a lot of traffic from that city and booked it that way. It was very, very easy to do. And then the other 10 took a little bit more work actually getting on the phone and trying to line things up um so it was it was quite the exercise in in leveraging my audience in, in a way that was beneficial to everybody i love that story I, I, you know the fact that you've <laughs> taken it upon yourself to do that i had a road journey across america it's one of the best times of my life and mm -hmm. uh, i had a big pontiac thing that did about five miles to the gallon <laughs> but it was great uh, it was one of the best times yeah and it's amazing how much uh, you can cover in a fairly short space of time and uh, so what was it like it, being on the road it was amazing i mean it it was incredibly hectic i had i had no idea how hard it would be because at the I, I planned it and this wasn't a great idea but i planned it to start 
the same week that the book came out. So I was at the same time as I was, you know, might have to drive six or eight hours one day because this was all driving, no, no planes or anything. Um, I would also be trying to be doing interviews on podcasts like this and, you know, getting, lining up reviews and, and different guest posts and things like that. So it was just incredibly hectic for those first few weeks. And it started to, to get a little bit easier as I, as, as the time went on and the book had been out for a month. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really neat. My family flew out and met me in, in the West coast for a few days. So that was really nice. Cause it was the hardest part was being away from my wife and my two children. One, um, I guess at the time was three and a half years old. And the, and I had a, a girl who was six months at the time. So it was really hard to leave them all alone and know that my wife was at home having to handle these kids all by herself. Um, but other than that, it was, it was an incredible experience. There were, I mean, you know, as you can imagine the, the, the amount of, just great stories I heard from readers and, and getting to meet people. And there, you know, most events had 30 or 40 people come to them. Some had as many as a hundred. And it was just so many people that, that said, you know, I, I love the work you're doing and I love what this diet has done for me. And, and thank you. I mean, it was just, it was just an overwhelmingly large amount of, of people saying nice things. And I hadn't really experienced that before. So that was, it was really cool for that reason. That's wonderful. I mean, we do have people listening who have written books on uh, uh, iPhone development, app development, and it, certainly I'm sure you're giving people ideas now. So let's try and <laughs> dissect this so that we could copy your strategy for, for the people that are in the same sort of boat with different books. You had a following. Um, and it was partly, I guess it was mostly because of your blog. And you uh, engaged with that audience and asked them if you could come to your city, what dates, what times, what venues. Uh, just talk us through the mechanics of how you did that. Yeah, and I should preface this by saying that it that I modeled the strategy of uh, Chris Gillibo, who writes, blanking on the name of his site, but he wrote The $100 Startup. That was his book recently. And Oh, it's called The Art of Nonconformity. I think that's his site. Puts on the World Domination Summit out in Portland each year. And uh, he had done a very similar thing. Of course, his, his work is about travel hacking and some of that. So it made a little more sense for him to try to do this. But I think he did maybe a 50 state book tour where he he purposely went to all 50 states and maybe even then like a a multi-continent tour where he tried to I don't know if he tried to go to all the continents because that would be seem somewhat wasteful, but um anyway, so I I if you google his like Chris Gillibo book tour, Art of Nonconformity book tour, you will find the post that I found a really long post. It has a lot of strategies and that's where I got the idea um, just to to get a form, and I took many of the questions directly from there, and then had people read that. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I used that as a model, and really, that was it. Wasn't that much more complicated than that? I mean, there was a lot of work that actually went into it. But what I did was I sat down before I started and looked at Google Analytics, and I looked at where I was getting traffic, and I ranked the I don't know the top fifty U.S. cities that were sending traffic to my site. And then I just tried to set out and make a route that would that would hit as many of them as possible without a lot of wasted, you know, backtracking and things like that. And then put up this form asking asking audiences if they had a venue in mind or if they owned a venue and if if the venue could provide anything for people who showed up, like books or refreshments or anything like that. And then just kind of filled it in and, and tried to make the dates work. And I mean, it took a lot of, you know, back and forth to try to get that stuff going, but so much of the work was done when when I f- I filled thirty of the forty cities just by people saying that they had they had a good venue and they they oftentimes were the venue owner and they offered to have me right then and there. So, um, 
I mean, once that was done, really, there wasn't that much else to do except for go and show up. And I mean, that's as I've, as I've mentioned to you before, I don't own a, uh, a smartphone now and I didn't before this for a lot of reasons. Some of them just mainly because I don't know that I'd have the discipline to, to be a good dad if I had a smartphone in my pocket all the time. I think I would always just be checking it because my work is so related to this and I love my work and I would always be picking it up and checking Twitter and email and everything else. So I figured I'm just better off not having it. But I got it for this and it made it so easy because I could arrive at a city, do an event at 5 or 6 p.m. in an evening. When the event would end at, at 8 or 9 p.m., I would just you know look at one of the four hotel apps that I had and, and find the nearest hotel that, that fit my criteria and then drive to it. And then you know, do the exact same thing the next day using the phone to navigate me to the next city. And a few times I just thought about how incredible that is, like how much work would go into a book tour like this and the advanced planning and logistics and all that, that nowadays, you know, it's just like, you don't even think of it. <laughs> yeah. You just put it in and go do it. Same with finding food. Uh, I mean, especially as a vegan, like plenty of sites will help, you know, help you to, to do that. And it would, it would have been so much work had I not had all that, had that. There you go. You've given me an idea for an app, uh, an app that helped you find vegetarian you food uh, like uh, yeah. when you're stuck. Yeah, we're planning a book tour. Yeah, well, I mean, so uh, actually, this this is absolutely awesome because um, it doesn't have to just be for books. You know, if you're listening to this, and uh, I think you could do this for apps, you know, when you have a big app launch and um, perhaps you want to get out there and uh, promote it, then you could do it this way. So you used um, forms. You put a form on your blog, and that would... Um, uh, request then anyone that can think of venues did you have to pay for those venues were they given as part of um, a courtesy because of you, you were coming into town yeah i did not did not pay for any of them um i think a, a few of them actually paid me like like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars for a little speaker fee but that was pretty rare um maybe if i had required that i, I you know i probably would have gotten 10 people to to actually pay a decent amount of money but that would have made it harder than to book all the other cities so um, I didn't pay for any. For the most part, I think it was just that the stores were happy to have have an event going on, have a reason for for me to tell my audience to to go show up at this place and for them to put out flyers and you know it was like running stores, restaurants, and and you can you can imagine those places. You you go in and you see flyers where they're having events and they're having people come in. That's that's exactly what it was. So we would go for a run and then I would talk for a little while and then sign books and things like that. Oh, see, so yeah, running clubs and restaurants, bookstores. Yeah, and another thing I would, on that note, would advise people, if you're talking about people who have written books about apps and technology, um, I, I was told in the beginning of this that the the old version of the book tour is basically dead, where the author just goes to a bookstore, people stand in line and wait for you to sign books. Like, that, people just don't show up for that anymore. Um, in my experience, I mean, I had a few bookstores on there, where I did a talk and people did show up for it, but as much as you can make it about other stuff, like just make it engaging and interactive. Like we're going to go for a run or, um, we'll all go eat, eat at this restaurant or we'll go get drinks. And you just like make it more for me, it was more about hanging out with people and I would happen to be doing a 20 or 30 minute talk there, but it's, you know, and with my topic being around food and fitness, it was pretty easy to find those active things to do. So I imagine there are similar things within within the technology world that one could come up with if you were just creative and could think of something to do other than just have people show up for you to sign books, because that's not really what it's about. And most people these days don't want to do that exact thing. And then the one more thing I would say about that is um, 
the benefit, like if, if your goal is just make money and create as much visibility for your book or product as possible, a, a physical book tour is an incredibly inefficient way to do that. I mean, you can, had I put the time, the two months I spent on the road, had I put that time into procuring guest posts on big blogs and writing content for blogs and doing podcasts and everything else, um, and even writing content for my own blog, that would have been a much bigger immediate return on investment as far as book sales and even you know immediate financial gain. Um, for me, the gain to this was much, much more than all that. It was going out and actually meeting readers who had read my blog, some of them for five years, uh, just to go meet those people, hang out with them, see the country myself, which I was really excited to do. And I think also kind of sow the seeds, um, you know, just, just to, for being seen as someone who, who has a book out and who does a book tour, because I think in the future, those sorts of things will, will ultimately pay off in some way or another and probably a financial way. But in the short term, I mean, it, it's not about, about selling books, you know, any, any better than, cause especially with apps, I mean, because the audience is so connected and wired, in many ways, you're going to be better off reaching them online. So I would only do the book tour thing if, if you have other reasons for wanting well, to do that. I'm very excited. I'm thinking of an idea of coming over to the US now and uh, doing a tour for my latest app that comes <laughs> out. But uh, So you used Twitter, did you? Um, did you announce that you were going to be in town on Twitter and, and had some extra people that way? Yep, I announced all the events on Twitter. That was actually the primary way that I did it besides having a, on my blog a, a tour schedule posted there. And then I also did Facebook events. So I had never done this before, but I, on Facebook, went and set up an event page for each each event that got booked and linked those from the tour page on my website. So that anybody who was looking at that page could click the link for their city, be taken to this Facebook page where they could sign up. And that way I could tell them that, you know, remind them that this event was coming up today or tomorrow or whatever without annoying, you know, the other 99% of my audience who was not in that area and didn't care about that. I didn't want to put that on the public Facebook page. Um, so those were, that was really useful having that events thing. And, and I bet, I mean, I know there are things like Eventbrite and other things that might make that easier, but I was going for simple. And I think, you know, that might be a potential opportunity to make something that's really good at, at doing what Facebook pages do, but, but doing it better somehow, if, if it's not already out there. That's why we love talking to non-app developers. You know, we we get so many ideas. I mean, there's a real-world uh, problem right now is that uh, we need a, an app that would help this whole process of managing um, a book tour, an app tour, whatever it is. You know, if you're a creative person, even if you're a band, you could you could have, like, this app that would help this whole process. Yeah, and it was it was surprising to me, actually, like, where the most popular events were because – some of them, if, if big cities were generally fine, like New York City, San Francisco, those just by sheer number, you know, they were going to be popular events, and they were. But there were some other like smaller U.S. cities that are known to be kind of hot vegan vegetarian spots that turned out to be duds. Like they were some of my worst events that had not worse in, in terms of not being fun and not good people, but as as turned out, some of those were like eight or ten people. What was interesting though is that like Nebraska, which which for for non-US listeners is like in the middle of beef country. I mean, the farthest place possible from what you would think as a vegetarian, vegan hotbed. And I did two events back-to-back nights about 60 miles from each other in Nebraska. And each one of those had like 50 people at it. So it was just really cool. I think, and the reason I think is because in those types of places, there's this 
craving for that type of thing. So when there's a vegetarian or vegan event, you really do bring out the people there who are just really eager to connect and excited that someone who shares their belief um, is is in town. So it was just kind of neat to see the connection work in that way. It wasn't, you know, the, the cities that I expected to be popular weren't always the ones that were popular and the you know, opposite goes for the ones that I expected not to be popular. The obvious question next is when are you going to do your world tour? <laughs> yeah. I've been asked that a few times. Probably when the publisher pays for it. I don't know if I'll I'll uh, try to finance one of those on my own. <laughs> yeah, when you you know private jet right. flying around the world. Right. But uh, now there's some really wonderful cities that you could be going to if the publisher pays. You want to be on a flight to Sydney, Van, um, to uh, Dubai. I've just come back from Dubai. That's great. Oh. Uh, maybe some of the Asian uh, countries and possibly China. So yeah, and uh, Germany apparently. My the book just got um got. I picked up, I don't know what the word is, but signed a foreign rights deal to have it published in Germany, and they're going to license some of the shirts there too. And apparently Germany is like the fastest growing place for plant-based diets, so that would be a good one. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, are there any um, any last thoughts that you would like to share with the audience, something that you would like to help inspire someone who may be sitting on the fence and just deliberating whether they should go out on their own like yourself? Um, any Any thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, to that person who is deliberating, I think, I think on some level, you you know if if uh, if this is for you, like if you have that mindset. And and for me, it was like I just couldn't ever forget about it. I tried to to do normal jobs after school, and and I just was so unhappy with it. And I would I would go into depressions because I because I hated going in to work for a boss. Not just like I didn't. It wasn't that I hated being told what to do because I was I was okay as an employee. But I just hated that I that I was spending my whole day working on someone else's ideas, uh, without being able to build anything that was that was my own and that that I could say was my own and, and that would maybe one day free me from this whole corporate thing. So, you know, if you have that, I think you're doing yourself a huge disservice if you try to stifle it. So, embrace it and then do what you can to to make it as incremental as possible. Like you don't have to you don't have to ever. You don't have to rush the point where you all of a sudden quit your job. I know a lot of people that's like the big thing, but I've heard a lot of a lot of different guru types and people who I trust really say that the best thing you can do is keep that paying job for as long as you possibly can make it work. Like don't be in a rush to get out of that, but try figure out ways to make that work alongside what you're doing because the longer you're doing that, the more you can really make your side project, your your new thing that you're starting yourself the more you can make that about the art and you don't have to start making decisions based on like you know what's going putting food on the table for your family basically cuz that that changes the game a lot when when you know your as far as your tolerance for risk and things like that so you know do things build like just build an audience you don't even have to sell anything but just get people who listen to what you have to say or who use your free apps that you're putting out or your free software or whatever it is just put value in put as much as you possibly can out there before you worry about taking it and you can absolutely do that while you're doing something else you can even if you don't have the time to develop you know paid products and customer support and all that stuff you can get people to start listening to you by having really good stuff to share and and doing that even while you're doing something else so that would be my advice well thank you for sharing that because that's great advice and uh, i just like to ask the audience if there's uh, anyone out there who would like uh, the app guy podcast world tour and is prepared to put me up in venues, then (laughs) 
Uh, you're very welcome there to get go. in touch. Um, it's the uh, it's onemob.com and go to uh, podcasting. And all the show notes will be there as well. Onemob.com, go to podcast and then uh, find the episode with uh, Matt. Matt, this has been uh, terrific. You've inspired me. Um, how can we reach out to you? How can we best uh, connect with you? If, um... Yeah, I mean, if you go to nomadeathlete.com, that's, of course, where, where my blog is and where all the any information that I'm putting out about that topic is. Uh, if you actually wanted to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is Twitter or maybe Google Plus also. So Twitter, I am no meat athlete, just all one word, no meat athlete. Um, and Google Plus, Matt Frazier, if you just look that up, you will, you'll probably find me there without too much trouble. Wonderful. Well, Matt, thank you very much for sharing your story. I know that um, you're a little bit cautious at the start thinking, what have I got to do and what have I got to speak about to app developers? But, you know, I, I always right. say that there's so much crossover between, um, you know, what people are doing out there as entrepreneurs like yourself and what we're trying to do as uh, indie app developers. And so I just appreciate you spending the time uh, this afternoon and coming on the show. And we'd love to have you back when you're um, doing your world tour. <laughs> Great. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And, and please... Uh... Please let me know when when that day comes. That's great. Thanks, Matt. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.